most of you, I probably know you. Some of you, I don't. My name is Michael Fueling, the lead pastor here at the Village Church. We are in week 10 of our series on the Ten Commandments. Do you know what that means? We're on the Tenth Commandment. It's the last one. <laughs> and uh, I want to invite you, would you open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. So in the Ten Commandments, God is establishing the legal foundation for a brand new nation. This would be a nation unlike the world had ever seen, and honestly, nobody in the world would ever think what God was going to be able to do and create through this nation would even be humanly possible. Now, every single one of the Ten Commandments up to this point had something in common. You could measure when they were broken. So for example, if you had an idol or you worshiped another god, you could actually measure those things. You could go see the idol and see when people were worshiping false gods. Uh, If you worked on the Sabbath, you could actually go find somebody who worked on the Sabbath and you could measure that violation of that commandment. If the words that came out of your mouth were dishonoring to God or to your mom or your dad or any authority in your life, you could actually measure those things. Stealing, murder and adultery, not murdery. They are all tangible things, are they not? The things that you can measure. But the 10th commandment, Um, The Lord goes in a very, very different direction. And I think by the time we get to the end of this, we're going to see that God is up to something really unique and beautiful and helpful in this last commandment. So in the last one, he is not legislating their behavior. But what he's going to do is he's going to legislate their heart. And in, in fact, he's going to go after one specific issue, and it seems that this, this singular sin is sort of like the gateway drug to all the other commandments. Like before you get to one through nine, you got to go through number 10, and the sin is that of coveting. So let's define the, the term. Most literally, it's going to mean strong desire. But it has a theological nuance to it. So when the Bible uses the word coveting, uh, let me just share with you what the Bible means by this word. It means the intense yearning to need now what God has not given you yet. The intense yearning to need now what God has not given you yet. Here are some synonyms for you. Lust, envy, All right, raise your hand if you have ever coveted. This should be every one of us in the room. You're scrolling through social media, and you're like, I want that, I want that, I'm jealous of that, I wish I had that. It is very common. Now, I want to just take a moment, because this is not just an Old Testament thing. The New Testament comes along and, with unbelievable clarity, tells the church how we're supposed to process this thing. So here's what Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 15 says. This is Jesus. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, the apostle Paul to the Ephesian church, he says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness It must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He's not saying that you can't bring it up. What he's saying is that among the people of God, whatever covetousness or coveting is, it shouldn't even be found among us. Because as the people of God, if we find it and we recognize I have a covetous heart, then our immediate response is to repent and deal decisively with it. 
That's the expectation for, for the people of God. Paul says to the church in Colossae in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and, and listen to what he says here, covetousness, which is idolatry. That when you are covetous, covetous of something, what is right there is idolatry in your heart. Like there's never a moment, by the way, when you're coveting where there's not an idol somewhere lurking behind the scenes. Jesus summarized covetousness like this. Evil. Evil. That is his word for it. So in, in American culture, uh, it's very normal. In fact, entire like, infrastructures are built off of coveting. Uh, coveting is applauded. Uh, people are applauded when you go after what you want, particularly expensive other people. You're celebrated. And so for the American church, coveting is kind of this like, I don't know, this thing we're numb to. And the reason I started off with, with Jesus and Paul's articulations of coveting is because I want you to get into your brain. This is not just an Old Testament thing. It's not even just a Bible thing. It's a human thing. Like I'm in a room with a bunch of coveters, Right? And you're looking at one. And this, this thing unchecked, it's insidious. And we're going to watch this play out. So let's, let's just be honest. There's a bunch of things that I really, really want. Anybody else? We're going to play a little game. We're going to build our dream life. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask a question. And as we build our dream life, I want you to imagine in your brain the first thing that comes to mind when I ask the question. No judgment. It's just going to be between you and the Lord so you can handle whether or not you're an evil idolater. That's up to you and him. But I just want you to be honest because part of of being a mature Christian is honest self-evaluation. And sometimes the best self-evaluations are when we're asked questions and we answer immediately because our heart is going to just, ready? All right, now these are also rhetorical, meaning when I ask you about marriage or your husband or wife, you don't kick them, okay? And if your children are next to you, same thing. Here we go. You get to create your perfect life. Who are your two closest friends? Imagine them. And if you thought somebody on TV, can you just repent of that right now? And... All right. How big is your house? It's your dream world. 2,000 square feet? 4,000? 8,000? 10,000? Come on, people. 10,000? 12,000? Some of you are like 100,000, biggest, biggest one in the state, maybe the world, 200,000, right? It's your dream house, go for it. All right, what kind of car do you drive? No limits. What is it? You got it? 2004 Ford Escape. No. <laughs> okay, so uh, here's another one. What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? Some of you, you, you got into a career, you went down a path, you ended up regretting it, but you're stuck, right? So you're there, but if you could have your dream life, you'd go back, you may do something else. Maybe you just, you've always wanted to be a or do a blank for a job. All right. In your dream world, do you have a spouse? If you're married, please don't answer that a lot if it's negative. Who's your spouse? Is it somebody other than who you're married to? Okay, your dream world. How many kids do you have? All right, here's here's one of my favorite ones. The Lord says to you, I will put any amount of money in your bank account. Tell me the number now, go. My answer, I'm going to be honest with you, trillion dollars. Look at all the 
trillion dollars. You can even spend it if you want to, right? Why that number? And then I was thinking about the, the biblical author who's like, well, I don't want to have too much. I don't have too little. You know, like, well, maybe that's what I should have said, right? Just being honest. Some of you are like, two trillion, so I can buy you out and have everything. <laughs> and then if the Lord gave me a trillion, it would probably like deflate the American dollar so it's worth nothing any longer. It's like, ha, it's worth nothing. Gotcha. All right, what do your annual vacations look like? Anybody have a uh, vacation envy? Bora Bora, I want to go, <laughs> right? All right, so let's, let's pause back. You've got your dream life. Everything's good. I, and honestly, like some of those dreams and desires may be very good. Uh, just because you have a dream or a desire does not mean it's coveting. Um, let me just ask you a general question, though. Um, how many of your answers were upgrades? Were all of your answers upgrades? Now, I want you to think about a different question. We're going to filter your answers. Which of your answers were out of greed? And I'm going to give you the alternative. Which of your answers were for God's glory and to build God's kingdom? Like, did anything in your brain go, I could do a lot for Jesus with that? Because when, when I was writing this down, I was like, oh, a trillion bucks. Not one ounce of me was like, oh yeah, I'm going to build the kingdom. I was just like, trillion dollars. Why? So stupid. What a dumb answer. Were your answers out of inherently like, I'm going to build God's kingdom. You know what I could do with that? Or were they, oh, I would love to indulge, right? Now again, I get it. We're all humans. We're all coveters. This isn't even about guilt or shame. It's about putting in the categories of your brain. Many of you are convinced you're incredible people who don't sin a lot. And the word of God is going to look at you and say, your heart is idolatrous. We are constantly discontent, wanting upgrades. And for some of us, this content gets really real because we obsess and obsess and obsess until we get the thing that our heart wants. Now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Here's what Moses, God says through Moses. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So five categories. Here's the first one. Don't covet someone else's house. Anybody have house envy? Everybody's got house envy. Well, almost everybody, except for like three of you who are perfectly content and you have achieved contentment which I found with most people is not that many. There's always something cooler we could do in our house, which, by the way, is not a bad thing, but it could be. All right, here's number two, someone else's spouse. Wouldn't it be great if all the rest of the words ended in house? House, spouse, they don't. Number three. <laughs> Standard of living. What's interesting is, is uh, what would happen in ancient years and culture is, is you would look at somebody and based on the amount of servants that they would have, you would begin to see their standard of living. So you might like have three servants, but your neighbor might have 30. And you're like, I want one of those. I want more. I need more. It's not fair that he has more than me. I want, I want more. So he says, don't, don't, don't look at someone's standard of living and be envious of this. There's no coveting that. Number four is wealth. Talks about the ox and the donkey. I've never looked at somebody's ox and been like, I want his ox, right? But for them, this was how they quantified wealth. The more animals you had, the more negotiating power. This is quantifiable wealth for these people. So you look at somebody else's animals, that's like taking money out of their, out of their bank account. 
And then there's this catch-all. Number five is just stuff. Okay, all right, all right. If I didn't, God's like, if I didn't like say something that's like relevant to you, how about just everything that's a noun that is theirs? If you see it and it's a noun, stop coveting that. It's like the catch-all term, and I appreciate how thorough God is. So here's some symptoms that you might be struggling with coveting. Number one would be obsession, ruminating thoughts over a specific thing like life won't be okay until I get this thing, achieve this goal, get this person, like this thing in your brain. It's just obsessing. It might be you might be coveting. Number two is a willingness to give up something of greater value. You, you know you may be coveting something when you are willing to give up something that is priceless just to get this thing, this object. Maybe it's a family heirloom. Maybe you're willing to pay two or three X what it's even worth because of your obsession. Maybe you're willing to give up a friend or a relationship because this thing has become so important to you. Here's a third, a third symptom that you might be coveting. A willingness to go into debt to get a thing. Like you're not just willing to spend what you have, but what you have plus typically an inordinate amount of interest because you just have to have the thing sooner than later or now. And then number four, this would be deception. This is a symptom that you might be coveting. Like you're hiding what you're doing from other people so as to get something you want. The moment deception is involved, by the way, you're coveting and then there's an idol right there. You got to figure out what that is. All right, so like most of the Ten Commandments, I want to answer three questions. Why this law? What value is God upholding and so what? Why this law? Two, two big reasons. Number one, because coveting is going to kill this new nation if it is not restrained. Let me help you figure out how this works here. It's a really common scenario that would happen. So God uh, would tell the Israelites when they're going into the land of Canaan to take over city by city by city. Now, I need to tell you one little thing just to get your brains okay with what we're about to talk about. When God tells the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan, um, it is filled with what kind of people? They're called the Canaanites. Now, this land now is called Israel, right? It's the promised land. But before it was Israel, it was Canaan. And every city, they had all of these tribes all throughout the land of Canaan. And I want you to be really clear on this. These are not like, ah, these are like your good neighbor friends. These are evil, terrible people that the Lord had to wait 400 years for their sin to get to a point where it was so bad that God, Yahweh, could justify sending the Israelites in, not just to remove them, but to obliterate them. Like in our brains, we think about these little tribes and we're like, oh, they must have been really good people and loving and kind and they would have shown us great hospitality. They would have killed you, violated you, taken everything you have and left you for dead. Like these are not great people. Think Sodom and Gomorrah. By the time God gets ready to destroy a nation, think about how evil it had to have gotten before he was willing to do that. And God was willing to send the Israelites city by city, tribe by tribe to eradicate these people groups because God saw that the world would obviously be much better without these people than with them. And now that's a hard thing for people to get their head around, but when you're the omniscient God of the universe who knows all plausible scenarios, if they live or if they die, God always makes the right call, always. So God sends them in and they're gonna go in and they're gonna go to this tribe, they're gonna go to this city and they're gonna conquer. The Lord's gonna perform a miracle, but then they're gonna start to find their idols and their idols are gonna be covered in silver and gold and they're gonna start to see the wealth of these tribes. And then what's gonna happen is they're going to get jealous. 
They're going to want to keep it. But now here's the deal. God told them when you go in, anything that is an idol, you destroy completely. You leave nothing. Totally destroyed. Burn them all. Burn all the idols. Well, then you go in. And then a question is implanted in your brain, and it is the most insidious question that the Israelites would be faced with, and they would ask this and answer it wrongly time and time again. They would ask the question, am I worshiping the wrong God? Because their God gives them gold and silver, and our God is telling us to go into these cities and to burn all the gold and silver. Okay, so I want you to imagine um, you find a million dollars cash and the Lord's like, burn it all. Do you want to keep like a stash of 10,000? Right? What's it going to hurt? No big deal. The covetous heart. And God told them, get rid of everything, but they're going to be tempted to hide these things, to take them home. Am I worshiping the wrong God? And it's interesting because modern day application of this is like prosperity preachers who are tapping into this same base, disgusting impulse in all of us, which is if you give me your money, then God will give you more, 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 more. And that's what the human heart wants is more, 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 more. And we will believe the most ridiculous things. It even got to the point with the Israelites. I want you to just, just capture the totality of the stupidity that their desire for more It was logical in their brain that they would take their firstborn sons and they would go up to this God. It was actually a big bronze statue that was lit with a fire and they would take their firstborn living child, put it alive on the statue, burn it to death as an offering to the God because if you did this, you got more. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And so the Israelites would walk into city after city after city and God, and they would say, Am I worshiping the wrong God? And it's like the gods were summoning them. If you come to us, more, more, more. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter seven. God is prepping them to go into the promised land. Here's what happens. Verse 25 and 26. God says, the carved images of their gods, you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves. Why? Lest you be enslaved by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination of all the Hebrew words for bad, it's the worst. And he says, and you, you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it for it is devoted to destruction. And if you start reading through the Old Testament, what happens? Is they get into the promised land. Every once in a while, there's a guy who keeps some of the gold, some of the silver, stashes it in his tent and it does not go well for him. And then inevitably you find this question being posed as they start dating and marrying Canaanite women from foreign lands and they're like, maybe... Maybe if I worship their God too, I can have more. And sadly, much of what our heart yearns for is deadly. And that's the hard part of it. It's deadly. So why this law? Number two. Because there are some sins that honestly we don't know are wrong or sin until the Bible tells us. 
In fact, there are a handful of things that are impossible for humanity to know unless God tells us. I'll give you a couple examples. Here's one. Um, Unless the Bible told us, humanity would never know that the human body was designed by God to work for six days and to rest for one. You can't find that in the stars. You can't find that anywhere else that is only revealed to humanity by God through his word. That's it. Here's another one. You would never know the name of God unless he personally revealed it. He is Yahweh. You would never know that he's triune, one God in three persons. You would never know that the son of God, his name is Jesus. And he is, every time you see God incarnate or God in the flesh, Old Testament to new, that's Jesus. You would never know that unless God revealed that through special revelation, through his word, you would never know that. And it's interesting because there's something about coveting. It's actually different than other sins. That the human heart is so used to it, it is so normal, so natural to the fleshly self, that the human heart doesn't naturally and intuitively know that coveting is bad until we're told. And so Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. He actually draws this one out and says, Listen, there are only things that I'm going to know because the law tells me, and I would not have known this is wrong. But now that I do and my eyes are open, I'm coveting everything. (laughs) I'm just looking around. I want that. I want that. I want that now. My heart is yearning. I'm obsessing. And this is what the human heart does, particularly the human heart that is separated from Jesus. Now, I want to share with you something that I have learned. In fact, many of you in this this room, we have had this specific conversation. Um, What I've learned about every human being I've ever met, myself included, is that there is a gap that we all have. And the gap is between our head, what we know and what we're conscious of, and our heart. And so there are many, 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 many decisions you've made. And if I were to ask you, why did you do that thing? Your head is aware of some of your motivations. But there's a gap for everybody and everybody in this room. The gap is your heart also has motivations, but it doesn't tell your head what the motivations really are. Have you ever done something and you thought you knew why you were doing it only to think about it later and realize you had motivations you didn't even know were there, but they were. What's interesting is that we have all of these intentions, we make all of these decisions, and we're aware on the surface of what's happening, but underneath, working behind the scenes, is a whole nother set of motivations from our heart, and it is invested in keeping those motivations secret from your mind. Why? Let's come back to this verse again. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And listen to this. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And and you've heard this a million times, I'm sure. Who is the human heart deceiving? It's not you. It's me, my own mind. There's this gap between what we're aware of why we're doing something and the real reasons why we're doing it. Let me just help you understand how to know what's really happening in your heart because the heart is where idols happen. The heart is the, is the place where idolatry and coveting is happening. And it has a vested interest in not letting your mind know what's going on. So let me just show you how you can figure out what is really motivating you. What is motivating you is rarely the words you say. It is rarely the things you're conscious of. But you can tell what is really motivating you by the things you do. 
The things you do always reveal the idols you have. The things you pursue, the things you want, the decisions you make. You might tell me all day long that your motivations were good, that your intentions were good. But if I look at your behavior, I can see what's really motivating you. You may not be aware of what's really motivating you. Very few of us are, by the way. This is why I need feedback around me all the time because my heart is deceiving my own mind. I think I have good intentions. Lo and behold, my idolatrous, coveting heart is actually at work and at play. I need people in my life to tell me the truth boldly because my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Is yours? Absolutely. We are convinced that we're incredible people with great motivations. Until we go see somebody who asks us, so why did you do that? The one question the heart fears more than anything else is why. You want to get down to the heart? Ask why once. Ask why twice. You get to the fifth why, eventually you'll start to get to really what's going down in the heart. What values is God upholding through this law? There's two big values here. Number one, is a healthy personal relationship with God. You see this through all the laws, by the way. What does God want with you? God wants relationship with you, amen? He is a heavenly father who loves you. He he, he wants personal relationship with everybody. And he's offering it through faith in Jesus Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verse five, Paul says actually something regarding coveting that is a little bit scary. So let me read this to you. He says this, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, always puts them together, that this person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That for Paul, this is like so insidious. Let me just translate. If you're aware that you have a covetous heart and you are unwilling to address it and repent, that might be a sign that you're not actually saved. Now, rarely do I get up in front of church and tell you, you might not be saved if. Why? Because our brains are all worried. What if I'm, you know, it's like that, it's a very dark place that many people's brains can go. But I can look at you with fair warning and say, if you know of an idol and a covetous heart and you refuse to repent, you may not actually be saved. And let me like right here, give you one simple way to find assurance of your salvation. Repent. It's the quickest way to get the confidence you need. People with the spirit of God, when faced with sin, own it and they repent. There's something about covetousness, though, that just breaks our relationship with God because at the core of it is an idol. And idols break our relationship with God. This is what God wants. Why no coveting? So that nothing can get in the way of a healthy relationship with God. Uh, Number two. Contentment with God's will for your life. What is his value? What does he want? I love this definition of contentment. It's a life free of coveting and satisfied with the will of God. A life free of coveting. Doesn't that sound amazing? A life free of coveting and satisfied with the will of God. Now, does that mean you don't have big dreams? No. It means you're not worshiping them. It means they are not interfering with your relationship with God, but they're means to bring God much glory. I want to share with you three so what's. Number one, know the difference between a good desire and coveting. Two simple questions to figure out whether or not 
your coveting. Very easy. Very hard to do because your heart is deceitful, right? There's a little battle, but two simple questions. Number one, why do I want this thing? Remember, the first time you answer it, your intentions are going to come to the surface. Then, then you have to ask again, but really, why? Remember, the one question the heart does not want to be asked is why. You go five whys down, you're going to get to the idol if it's there. You might need somebody to sit with you and just say, let's talk. Why do you want to do that? Well, this is why I want to do it. Why? Why? <laughs> it's annoying. And the heart, it's going to produce irritation in you. Stop asking me that question. Wow, you're defensive. Idol, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Here's the second one after why. Okay, if I don't get the thing, can I be content? And, and, and if you say, no, I cannot be content unless I have this thing, there's a strong possibility that it might be an idol. I will never be okay unless I have this thing, more. <laughs> okay. And sometimes it's just good to have somebody who's honest with you to ask you these questions, to process them through with you. I have begged God for a lot of things. I want to be really clear. I've begged God for a lot of ridiculous things. I've begged God for so many things. His answer to me has been no, 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 no. Because honestly, probably behind a lot of the requests was greed, more, idols, coveting. And God is so good. When you ask him to give you an idol, what's his answer going to be? Of course it's going to be no. And this is his way of loving you. Um, there have been a, a couple times where I have gone before the Lord. And uh, I, can, I can look back and say, I actually believe my motivations were fairly pure. Um, I can't think of a ton of them, but the Lord in these moments has done some really interesting things. I want to tell you a story of one of them, and it comes back to my guitar. This, this is a guitarist's worst nightmare. <laughs> so my senior year of high school, um, I went on a mission trip with my church. I was the worship leader. I would lead worship with them. And I want to be really clear when I say lead worship. I'm the worst singer in the history of the universe but I can lead. So I would get a singer with me. So I'd play guitar and I'd do devotions and teach and do different things. And then I'd start off and then the person would sing. It was, a great, it was great for me, but the moment I started singing, I lip-synced the whole time. I even had a microphone in some places. I didn't say a word when I was singing. I, I, I faked it all. Uh, my heart was in it, but my mouth was, it was a distraction. So, <laughs> so I, I went on a mission trip and I, we were in Houston, Texas. We were on the connecting plane from Detroit to Houston to somewhere in Mexico. And, and uh, so I had my guitar. I was a worship leader for the week. And, and, I, and I brought it on. And the woman says to me, you can't bring that on the plane. You're going to have to put that underneath. Well, I proceeded to say, I'm not putting this thing underneath. It's my guitar. It's going to break the pressure, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I said, no, I'm not doing it. And she said, well, then you're going to get off the plane. I'm looking at all my youth pastor, my youth leaders, my friends on the plane. I'm in Houston. Like, where am I going to go? And my prideful, stubborn heart was like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, so I got on the plane. They put it underneath. We get to Mexico. I'm nervous. It's all I can think about on the plane is what's happening to my, my guitar. And I open it up and this is what I find. Uh, I'll be honest, I was angry. Um, and I took this with me throughout the week and we sang instead of play guitar and it was just fine and I didn't sing, so it was even better. And all week long, I would just look at this and I was like, oh man. And I loved my acoustic guitar, loved it. I had no actual real desire for another one. But if you were to ask, if I could have any guitar, it would have been a Taylor 800 series. I could never afford it. It was like in the upper 2000s uh, in like 1999. It's 
I don't even know how much it would cost now, brand new. I don't even know if they make them anymore. But this was like the guitarist. Like as a guitarist, if you're a Taylor guy and someone's like, oh, you have a Taylor, what number do you have? They'd be like 700, be like 814 CE, boom, right? Like automatic jealousy. You know when you have something everybody wants and you feel really good about you have it and they don't? You know that feeling, right? So I was like, Lord, I really would love a Taylor. I really love a Taylor 814, actually, if I'm being honest. Never had an expectation to get it. But I do remember I went before the Lord and, uh, and I was like, God, Really, whatever you give me is fine. I, my commitment to you, because music had become an idol, was that I would give every part of my life to Jesus and to his glory. That was one of the best things my youth uh, ministry ever gave to me was just this conviction, do it for the Lord, do it for his glory. And, and I wanted to be a rock star until I was in 11th grade. And by 12th grade, the Lord convicted me and was like, you can't sing, you're not gonna be a rock star. You're gonna like, you're going to Make me a rock star, Jesus, not Michael. And so, and so like that, I was like, Lord, I'll do anything you want. And so I was like, but I really want an A14, but why do you want that? Well, it sounds amazing. It's helpful. Like I can help out. Like, so I made a promise, Lord, whatever guitar you give me, anybody can use it. Anybody can borrow it. It's yours, whatever. And I even got this, uh, you know, those Jesus, Jesus fish stickers, you know? And uh, I was like, I'll put it on it. This will be like a statement. This is the Lord's guitar. Dave, you remember my... <laughs> and, uh, and so my, I was a youth leader at the time. I was a senior in high school. I led a group of uh, 10th grade guys. And one of them comes out to me and he says, okay, hey man, my older brother, he's got like a ton of money and he bought this guitar because he wanted to learn how to play guitar, but he's only played it once and he figured, ah, I'm too old to learn how to play guitar. And so he's trying to get rid of it. Do you want it? Like, would you be interested? And I'm like, well, what kind of guitar is it? It's like a Taylor 814, C. And I'm like, Tell him I give him $1,000 right now, thinking there's no way, because that's all the money I had, because the airline, God bless Continental, wrote me a check for the guitar that broke, praise God. But that's all the money I had. So I tell him I give him 1000 bucks. didn't think there's any way, and he said, done, he'll do it. Within a day, I had a Taylor 814, and I remember I got it, and it, it was just total contentment, and I took that Jesus sticker fish thing, and I put it right on it, and everybody said, Michael, don't do it. You're decreasing the value right away. You pull that thing off. It's going to be imprinted with the words Jesus and a fish. And I was like, it's the Lord's guitar. It's his. I'm going to use it for his glory. Anybody who wants to use it. And crazy things have happened to that guitar. It has been broken by multiple people. Like it, That guitar has been a total trip, and every time it breaks, there is not one ounce of anger in me. I want to be clear. I have not broken it. <laughs> But every time I'm like, it's a guitar, it's the Lord's. And, it, and what I realized is that of all the thousands of prayer requests I've ever brought before the Lord, maybe there's been four or five that have been probably as pure as I've wanted them to be. That just shows how actually wicked my heart really is. But I've learned a couple things that when I'm going before the Lord that, that I, I really want to make sure I'm checking my heart with. And I've learned a couple things through that story, that story and a couple others. One is, Am I truly okay with whatever God provides? It's okay to have vision and dreams and whatnot, but am I truly okay with whatever he gives me? And I remember in that moment, if I would have gotten even a cheaper guitar, I just would have been okay. That week in Mexico, the Lord did a lot of work in my heart, just undid a handful of things, and I got done. I'm like, Lord, whatever you have for me, it's okay. Because this, this Takamini was my baby. I took it with me everywhere. I played it every single day of my life since I was in seventh grade. Think about that. So I was very dear to me, this, this, just the guitar itself. Did I really, here's the second thing I asked myself, did I really want to use this for God's glory, really? 
So I made a handful of decisions on the front end. Whatever you gave me, I'm going to be okay with, and I'm going to use it for God's glory. I'm going to share it with other people. I'm not going to hoard this. Whatever you give me, it doesn't matter what it is. And number three is, would you wait on God, Michael, to provide what you need? And those three things came together, and what I've just found is that sometimes um, I want a good thing, but I really want it for wrong purposes, and I just got to wait for the Lord to kind of work in my heart and do the right thing, and that process is okay. But those three big questions, am I really okay with whatever God provides? Will I really use this for his glory? And will I wait until his timing? Here's the second so what. Know the idol behind the object. When a mature Christian identifies coveting, there is always an idol there. I'm going to give you three categories of idolatry. Almost every single covetous heart is motivated by one of three things. Here's number one, pleasure. I must have this thing because I'm desperate to feel good. Second idol, status. I must have this thing because it elevates my social standing. If people see me with this, they're going to be like, I want to be like that person. (laughs) Is any of us above that, by the way? Like, I had to really check my heart. People see me with a Taylor 814. They're going to think I'm awesome. My social standing in the small, like, like three of you know what a Taylor 814 is. Like, who cares now, right? But in my brain, those three people were the most important people, and I want to have a better guitar than them. Like, the Lord had to break that. But some of us, like, status, it's the reason Here's the third one, identity. I must have this thing because it gives me purpose. I cease to be me without this. All three of them are insidious. All three of them get in the way of our relationship with God. And the mature believer, when they realize there's coveting, we do the why work. We ask why, 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 until we find, is it pleasure? Is it status? Is it identity? And we repent. Here's my third so what? Dream big, but check your dream for idols. I'm a forward, future-thinking person. I've got all these dreams and ambition, and, and there are idols lurking in my dreams and ambition all the time. Like, I have to be so well aware of that. I need to say them out loud. I need people in my life who are going to say, why, 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 why? Enforce me. Is this really for God's glory and to build God's kingdom? Think about the why, Michael, because my heart is an idol-making factory. Anyone relate to that? And my, my idols are trying to stay quiet and hidden because my heart knows that when my brain gets a hold of it, I'm going to go after it. So it works really, really hard, especially in this season of my life, to make sure those idols stay hidden. In Genesis chapter 128, here's, here's the command that God gave Adam and Eve in humanity. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Like, it is good to look at the chaos of this world and want to bring the kingdom of God into it, to enlarge things, to make them work better for humanity and for God's glory. Those are not bad things, but we need to do the hard work of dreaming big, but asking the why and making sure that we're not really driven by idolatry. Because if we're, we're, we're being motivated by idolatry, we're building our kingdom and not God's, and it won't last. When I really want to build God's kingdom, I mean, when my heart is like that, like the Lord tends to move a lot quicker and answer prayers in the affirmative a lot more than when I'm trying to accrue more and more and more because of my idolatry. So the the 10th commandment, it tells us actually something really, really pivotal, really important about sin and our relationship with God. What it tells us is that it's not just behavioral sin that breaks God's heart 
that breaks God's law and breaks our relationship with him. What it tells us is that it's actually what happens before the behavior even occurs. That what breaks God's law is a broken heart and a broken set of desires. So that Jesus did not just need to die for the things I did, for the broken things that I want and the idols in my heart. There was this girl in youth group here a long time ago. I was a youth pastor here for a handful of years. And this girl was so good, but truly good. She still is. She loves the Lord to this day. She's just a good human being by like human standards. And her parents would always say, Emily is so good. She's just so compliant. She's so godly. She's so committed. She's so disciplined. Emily did her devotions every day. Like Emily, like Emily was just a good kid. Emily was the first to serve. Emily went on every mission trip. Emily was humble. Emily was a good leader. Emily was a good communicator. Emily was thoughtful. She was well-prepared. I mean, you name it, Emily's like, like your favorite human, right? You're just like, wow, we're all kind of jealous of Emily. So one day I'm teaching on sin. And uh, in the middle of the teaching, I broke people up into co-ed groups. And so I had a group of, I was a couple kids, three kids maybe four, and Emily was there. And so I asked the following question or something like this. When is the last time you have sinned? And the other kids were like, <laughs> like five hours ago, three hours ago, like right now, you know? And uh, very obvious. They were very well aware of their darkness and their idolatrous hearts. Emily, she sits there stumped. She's like, I can't remember. I don't know that I can remember ever doing something wrong on purpose. And I was like, who are you? And I was secretly like, I was glad Emily was in my group because she's always been the good kid. And I was always like, come on, like, there's got to be something. This is like a prime question. Like, and then I thought for a moment, maybe she's just being prideful. Maybe she's just hiding it because she's embarrassed. And, and then I asked a follow-up question to her. Emily, was there ever a time where you wanted something that wasn't glorifying to God? And she was like, oh, Yes. Oh, yes. And I got to know Emily over time, but uh, Emily's heart was covetous. Emily wanted a different group of friends. She wanted a different body. She wanted a different school. She wanted different this, that. And her heart was just insecure. Even though she had really great discipline on the outside, her heart was a mess. And it was actually really good for me to watch Emily, to see Emily come to grips with her need for a savior. It wasn't probably because she was going to do the wrong thing. It was because her heart was broken and idolatrous and covetousness. And so she saw this and she understood through high school and college the gospel in a way that was really powerful for her. To this day, she loves the Lord. And when she worships, she worships God because not because she's this terrible person. Everybody thinks she's great. She worships God because her heart is broken. And the blood of Christ was not just shed for all of your behavioral mistakes, but for our broken hearts that need absolute and total redemption. Because before the first nine commandments are broken, guess which one has to be broken first? The 10th one. Your heart has to want something that God doesn't want for you right now or ever. And so after you get through this first one, you steal, you lie, you dishonor, you fight, you quarrel. Why? Because the heart wants something now. That the Lord has just said it's not for you. So I have incredible news for everybody in this room. First of all, if you have never trusted in Jesus, you may be recognizing right now that your heart wants a lot of things. You, you may, like Paul, have never known that coveting is wrong and has broken your relationship with God until you heard it from the word of God. 
you might even just now have like new revelation. Like, whoa, I had no idea. Like, I, I'm a pretty decent person, but if we're talking about, if I'm being judged on the heart level, I am terrible. If I'm being judged by what happens in the secret places of my mind, like guilty as charged. And I've got great news. The shed blood of Jesus is more powerful than you can imagine. And it doesn't just cover what you did. It covered what you thought, what you felt. And God is willing to forgive and to save anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ. So if that is you today, I want to just challenge you, trust in Jesus Christ. Place your faith in him, not because you're good, but because he was good for you. So if that's the decision you want to make today, I want you to just challenge you. Would you tell somebody? Maybe you came to church with somebody. Maybe you're here and you don't know anybody. You just need to come tell one of us up front. We would love to celebrate your decision to follow Christ, resource you, and help you take a next step. Now, most of you in this room, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You have trusted in him. And I have really amazing news. The Lord is never done transforming our deceptive and evil hearts. The Holy Spirit, when you trusted in Christ, was given to you, and he is relentlessly devoted to exposing our covetous and idolatrous hearts. It is no fun, amen, but it is wonderful on the other end. The process is excruciating, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And the Lord is is transforming our inner person day by day, making us more and more like Jesus. So when you find the covetous heart and the idol lying behind it, Don't be hesitant for one moment to lay it before the cross and to ask Jesus to help you overcome this thing. He is 100% committed to your heart transformation. You don't have a God who is sitting there saying, you, you're an idolater? (gasps) When he saved you, he knew exactly all the idols you were gonna have for the rest of your life. And he saved you anyway and committed himself from that day forward through all of eternity to be devoted to you. So I want to take a minute as we close here. I just want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Uh, The Holy Spirit may be bringing up just some real idols in your heart, in your life. And I want to encourage you that he is here to help you. He is here to help you overcome. And again, if you've never trusted in Christ, let's talk. Let's just talk about what that next step would look like. Let Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the shed blood of Christ. Thank you that salvation is not by the accrual of good works, Thank you for your patience. I thank you that even when you expose idols, you are slow to anger. We confess we're quick to anger. We're, we want our idols now, but Lord, as you help us become more like Christ, you are often just so gentle and patient yet intentional with us. Thank you for that. And we confess when we think of our dream life, There are a whole bunch of things in that list that don't bring you glory. They are greedy and indulgent. Our hearts are deceptive. And yet there are some things in that list where, quite honestly, we want them because we want to bring you glory. But God, I I pray you would help us not just, we don't want to dream small and just have low expectations for life, but... um, Lord, we do want to dream about what could be and we want us to do this earth and bring beauty out of chaos to bring the kingdom of God to the kingdom of earth. But God, help us recognize what is really about self-glory and what is really about God glory. And so Lord, as we come to the end of this service, we have the joy and the privilege to worship you and to lift high your name. Um, Lord, thank you that you invite broken, covetous sinners with deceptive hearts 
to forgive you because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. So Lord, may you produce gratitude in us and hearts that want to worship you now because you were so good, so patient, and you have never forsaken us. We love you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen? I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close our service, and we are going to worship our God. Let's do this together.